a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. For the next hour, we are going to be looking at the various methods used to combat the coronavirus, the various tactics that have developed, uh, even some of the new phrases that you and I have learned. In fact, it was just a few weeks ago I was listening to uh, the Nightside Project as they broadcasted in their limited run, and Ethan and Alex did a great segment where they broke down all the new vocabulary that's come into our lives since Rona showed up. Uh, words like social distancing, PPE, uh, community spread, super spreader, vector, N95, and also contact tracing. We've learned not only what contact tracing means, but also that it's one of the crucial keys to understanding and defeating this virus. Uh, a few months ago, uh, we had a conversation here on this program uh, with the Utah Department of Health, and their plan at the time was to uh, to hire as many contact tracers as possible to fill uh, the need that was uh, ever-growing. Uh, in fact, uh, way back uh, way back early, in the earliest of days, uh, in late February, uh, Utah public health officials laid out plans for what they would do to address the spread of the coronavirus once it came to Utah. And even before the first case had been diagnosed, state epidemiologist Dr. Angela Dunn introduced contact tracing as a critical factor in fighting the spread. From a public health perspective, we'll end up doing immediately active um, contact tracing. So identifying anybody who came into close contact with that positive individual and ensuring that they're um, quarantined away from the general public for 14 days while they're assessed by public health daily for symptoms um, to ensure that if they do become symptomatic and end up having coronavirus as well, they're not spreading it to the general public. And then more recently... Uh, I spoke with uh, Tom Hudako of the Utah Department of Health. He joined me on the program and called contact tracing the way to stop the spread. It's the best way that we have for determining where a sick person could have potentially spread their illness to. And so if we can figure out who a sick person has potentially spread their illness to, get in touch with those individuals, let them know about the types of behaviors that they should be engaged in, in terms of watching themselves for symptoms, uh, quarantining themselves, trying to limit their contact with other people in the community that, you know, we, we can stop the spread of this disease. Now, as Salt Lake City remains a, uh, in some portions of the city a, a hot spot for uh, the spread of, of the coronavirus, I thought it would be important uh, and helpful to look at the contact tracing efforts in Salt Lake. And so joining us now is Lee Sheree Booth, a public health nurse uh, who leads the contact tracing efforts with the Salt Lake Department of Health and trains new contact tracers. Uh, Lee Sheree, how are you? I'm good. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, tell me, what is your job? I help provide education to all of our new contact tracers. Um, so do training and um, support all of the new staff and uh, the health department staff and the guidance that's needed to do contact tracing. And then each day we kind of assign out all of our cases to all of our contact tracers and help them identify, you know, who needs to be contacted and let them know who it is that they need to call. 
Sure. You have hired about 50 new tracers uh, and are recruiting between three and 400 others who are coming uh, to assist in this effort from uh, within the department. Uh, when, when one of these contact tracers uh, reports for duty or starts their day, uh, what does that look like? They've been assigned a case. What's step one? So they will gather the information, make sure it's in our jurisdiction, it's a Salt Lake County resident. If it's not, then we route it to the other jurisdictions so the other counties can work that case. And then they call the patient, verify that, yes, it is a positive COVID case because that's what we're calling about. And then they start, you know, identify themselves as, hi, I'm Salt Lake County employee wanting to talk to you about your positive COVID results and what you can do to help decrease the spread of this infection. And then we just go through, you know, their, when they started having symptoms, what symptoms did they have, and then kind of track back two days prior to that, their symptom onset, and say, okay, who were you around? Who were you with? Did you go to work? Um, and then gather the household contacts, like who's been in their house um, that they have close contact with, and their work site, if they went to work, then we gather that information. So there's a bunch of questions we ask as far as that. And then we provide lots of education on the person. We call them the index case of, um, okay, so now since your symptoms started on this day, you're going to need to be in, in isolation. And we want you to be in isolation for at least 10 days from your symptom onset. And as long as you haven't had a fever within 24 hours and your symptoms are improving um, at the end of the 10 days, then you can be off the isolation and kind of go out into the world again. And so we talk about what is isolation, what does that mean um, in the household, and, you know, masking, washing high-touch surface areas, uh, staying away from people, um, and just kind of isolating yourself so you're not spreading. We talk about the infectious period. So the infectious period is two days prior to symptom onset and then generally 10 days from when the symptoms start and what does that mean. We don't want you to spread that infection. Um, and then we go over education on how to um, talk to the household members, or we may talk to the household members about quarantining. Um, so anyone that's been around someone who is positive, then we, they could be incubating the infection, and that's why we have them quarantined for 14 days after last exposure. Uh, last exposure can be, you know, if it was a neighbor or a friend and they kind of had a little party, you know, then they can, we want the index case to call their social contacts and say, hey, neighbor, um, we were, we had, we got together, I have COVID, we were together two days before, you know, and during my infectious period, will you watch out for signs and symptoms of COVID? And if you become symptomatic, go get tested. For family members uh, that live in the same household, it's really kind of difficult, you know, to have a lot, uh, last contact with them because it's a continuous, right. um, continuous exposure. So we have to wait till the person who's done being sick. Uh, so everyone in the household that's not sick still has to should quarantine, but then their quarantine continues 14 days after last exposure or, or when the index case or the person who has COVID is well. So sometimes that can be like 20, 30 days because the incubation period um, can last up to 14 days and they may not show symptoms until after, you know, on that 14th day. And we don't want them to go out and spread the infection because, again, you can be infectious two days prior to your symptom onset. So you're, you could be incubating, going around to the store or to work or to friends or neighbors or family's house and not knowing that you're infectious at that time. And so if you know you're a pop, you know, a contact to a positive case, 
That's when we want you to quarantine, meaning, again, stay away from people, watch out for, you know, six feet, mask up, uh, wash everything that you touch. Um, and so we kind of go over those um, education points with yeah. the, the index case and, and go from there. Very good. Uh, speaking with Lee Cherie Booth, public health nurse and the contact tracing lead with the Salt Lake Department of Health, she trains the, the new contact tracers. Uh, has it been your observation that uh, individuals, these index cases, that they're uh, generally forthcoming w- with details and information about their circumstances? Um, not always. Um, some of them are afraid to give us information. They don't want to give us information for various reasons. Um, And so we are okay with that. I mean, we try to educate them that if you provide us the names of the people, if they do get sick, uh, we can provide a referral to go get testing. Mm -hmm. If they need work letters to go back to work or reasons why they are quarantined, uh, we can provide that. But if we don't have that information, then we can't provide um, some of that, the things that they may need in their, in their work situation or life. So but what, whatever yes, information they do deliver will be held in confidence. And so anyone listening right now right. who may be a, a potential recipient of a call from a contact tracer, uh, they can respond confident that their information will be exploited or used improperly. Correct. Yeah. Right. We're only using this just to decrease the spread and, and educate and help help them get care if they need it. Uh, well, thank you so much. Thanks you for the work that you're doing. Thanks for explaining it here on this program. Uh, I don't want to take you away from your important duties for, for another minute. So, uh, Lee Sheree, thank you so much for your time uh, and for your service. You're welcome. Thanks. All righty. Uh, quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue the attention we are paying to the different efforts being implemented right now to combat this coronavirus because we got to beat it. we got to beat it. Next up, we're talking immunization plans here in the state of Utah. That's ahead on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. A search for the cure. Man, who thought 12 months ago that we would be searching for a cure for some new novel virus that has uh, really brought the world to its knees? Uh, well, we will stand up again. We're going to defeat it, and we're making great strides towards doing so. Uh, not too long ago, Uh, Just last month, Dr. Anthony Fauci participated in a webinar uh, at Georgetown, or in conjunction, rather, with Georgetown University. And it was uh, one of the more optimistic attitudes I have heard him communicate in terms of a vaccine. Here he is briefly discussing his hopes for getting a vaccine out to the people safely. So I think we're in a pretty good place when it comes to vaccines. I mean, obviously, you want to prove that it's safe and it's effective. But if things work out the way we hope they do, I think by the end of this year and the beginning of calendar year 2021, we will have enough information to know whether the candidates that we're dealing with are safe and effective. And hopefully we'll be able to distribute it in an equitable manner to a large number of people. Right. That is the, the, the most optimistic view. But what we have learned is that throughout the the coronavirus experience through which you and I are currently passing, uh, we have learned that we are, number one, not very good at predicting timelines, and uh, number two, uh, we uh, are sometimes challenged by the unforeseen. Things uh, like supply chain challenges uh, come about, and all of that 
uh, could be uh, a factor or rather multiple factors in getting a vaccine distributed once one is even developed. I, I will remind you that I have very heroically signed up as a volunteer to participate should, uh, should they require my body to test this vaccine. I haven't gotten a call back yet. Uh, probably not my fault, right? I'm plenty healthy. I'm a great candidate. Uh, they probably have so many other heroes out there as well. <laughs> Uh, but that's uh, at least the Moderna company right now. Uh, they are in the midst of, uh, of a massive human trial. And that's all lead up to what we hope will be uh, the, uh, the development, the approval, the uh, then distribution and administration uh, of a vaccine. Now, once that happens uh, globally or far away in some uh, smart lab, uh, ultimately those vaccines will make it here to Utah. And some decisions will need to be made and some plans will have to be formulated. And joining us on the line right now is Rich Lake, an immunization program manager for the Utah Department of Health. Sir, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. I'm grateful to you for joining us, and I'm even more grateful to you for uh, the, the work that you do. Could you please uh, d- describe uh, your position? What, what, what are your responsibilities? Yeah, so I'm the immunization program manager at the Utah Department of Health, so really Anything that has to do with immunizations for the state of Utah um, falls under uh, my umbrella. We uh, work with partners, local health departments, um, hospitals, clinics, local physicians to ensure vaccines get to where they need to go. Um, We look at data to ensure safety, um, and we look at data to try to ensure that uh, as many kids as possible get vaccinated within the state so that um, they're safe, and um, so yeah, all all that kind of falls under under that umbrella. That sounds like you're describing a normal work day and a normal description of your responsibilities. Then coronavirus showed up. Uh, how has your time and attention changed uh, as as you now prepare for uh, hopefully uh, a rapid uh, receipt of a coronavirus vaccine? Yeah, so my attention has really turned towards um, the last couple months has turned towards a vaccine. Um, and, you know, we have a number of calls with CDC um, to ensure that we can get the, you know, the vaccine um, out uh, within, you know, the United States. And then um, particularly, you know, we're responsible here for Utah. So we're just, we're putting together um, plans. Uh, we're working with a number of partners. We're just ensuring that that at least on our end, when that vaccine is ready, when they give us the, you know, the green light that the vaccine is safe and effective and um, how many possible vaccines there could be and uh, what those vaccines are licensed for to, um, to give to the public, that all those kind of plans kind of come together. And then, um, and then at that point, it'll be uh, to get that vaccine out to um, those that want it here in Utah as quickly as we can. I predict that there will be relatively limited supply once we first get our hands on the first initial shipments of a vaccine. There will not be enough for everyone to be vaccine uh, to be vaccinated on day one. Who bears the responsibility for deciding who qualifies to get those earliest doses? Yeah, so that's a great point. We 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 know that's that's one of the planning assumptions that we plan for, and that's one of the planning assumptions the CDC has um, actually said, that there will be limited supply in the beginning. 
So um, what we're doing here in the state of Utah is uh, we've put together a prioritization group, and that includes uh, myself, the vaccine manager that's within the immunization program. Uh, Dr. Dunn is on that. There's a number of doctors from Intermountain Healthcare, University of Utah. There's also those from um, Unified Command, et cetera. Uh, Local health officers are also on that group. Um, And what we will do um, when they say that there is a vaccine and they tell us about about the amount that we're going to receive, whatever that may be, um, we will look at CDC guidance and um, we will make recommendations. That group will make a recommendation on that, uh, who would be the priority group to receive the vaccine. And then we will, we will get that vaccine out. So the nice thing about it, it's not, it's not just me making the call on it. It's a lot of smart people from a lot of different organizations that have come together, which is really great. Um, we, uh, I really appreciate that. And then we'll look at the, the guidance from CDC. And, and, we, and the nice thing about it is we can, we can follow the guidance from CDC, which would probably be the biggest recommendation, but we can make adjustments within the state of Utah based on our um, demographics here within Utah. And so that would be part of that group. Um, there may be adjustments made just based on our population because you know, every state's a little bit different. Right. Is it too early to to reveal who may be at the top of that prioritization list? I imagine healthcare workers must be near the top, uh, high risk folks. Uh, are, are there any preliminary uh, groups that you're looking at right now who who warrant uh, high prioritization? Yeah. So um, healthcare workers would probably be a priority. Um, there have also been um, like long term cares. Um, there have also been looking at uh, different populations that that have been impacted the most um, within the state of Utah. Um, and what we'll do is we will also look at our uh, epidemiology data, and um, we can we can look at that and say, you know, th- this is the population that's been hit the hard, and that might be some minority groups that uh, have been hit pretty hard. So that that could be, <clears throat> excuse me, that could be a group that would move into that priority uh, group also. But uh, as of right now, it looks like probably healthcare workers. Um, there's been some discussion about like grocery store uh, workers. Um, those are kind of, you know, provide those essential services. And so, um, so those are, those are kind of all the populations that we're looking at. But, but as, as of now, I know healthcare workers have been mentioned, long-term cares have been mentioned a lot. Um, and so those could be maybe the two priority groups. Sure. Uh, any realistic timeline estimation on your end? Yeah, so um, this was a good timing. Um, I just got off a call with CDC yesterday. Um, there is a very good possibility that there could be some vaccine at the end of October. And again, that is a very small percentage. I don't know when they say a minimal amount of vaccine. I don't know what that means uh-huh. um, because we just don't know how much vaccine that is. But there could be some by the end of October. And then um, there definitely probably will be some um, vaccine at the end of the year and then into uh, the first part of January. And then they'll be really ramping up the vaccine um, probably from January to July. And then probably July of 2021 will probably be when they have um, vaccine enough for everybody. And the, and the vaccination efforts will just kind of continue at that point. Outstanding. The, the, the first vaccine doses could make their way to Utah end of October. I sure hope so. Um, uh, we're optimistic. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you in the optimism. Rich Lake, an immunization program manager for the Utah Department of Health. Thank you so much for your expertise and the work that you are doing. I know it is difficult. You have difficult decisions to make, and so uh, our thoughts are with you as you make those uh, in conjunction uh, with your colleagues. Thank you so much, Rich. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, a quick break. When we return, we're continue this conversation uh, about the plans being formulated uh, to address immunization. Once a vaccine is available, how do we distribute it? We're going to speak with someone next uh, who is heavily involved in those very decisions made right here in Utah when it was time to distribute the H1N1 vaccine. That is next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio.